this message inspires and encourages you. For more information, please contact Nexus Church. Awesome. Hebrews 12, 28. Today, uh, this is the last uh, time, well, the last week of doing Hebrews. We'll never talk about Hebrews ever again. Um, but this is the last installment of our Hebrews series. We've spent 13 weeks on the book of Hebrews. Pretty amazing. And you're still here. How good. Uh, because we are a Bible-believing church, the living and active Word of God in our lives. Uh, when we give it its proper place, we grow up and we enlarge our life and our faith by doing so. And so you're in a Bible-teaching church. That's one of our core pillars, one of our core values. But today we're going to uh, pick up the end of chapter 12 and a little bit of 13, and then that will do us so far, but we'll probably, you know, in this lifelong journey together, go back to Hebrews at some point. Uh, but I'm excited about next week. Uh, we're starting a mini-series in the book of Acts, just Acts chapter 3 through to Acts chapter 9, Saul's conversion, because that is a formation of a brand new community. And I feel like that's what God is doing. I feel like during coronavirus, in fact, that the very dynamic of our church, the church generally, abroad actually, is actually shifting and God is beginning to form these little clusters of faith reaching out into the world. So from next week, Acts chapter 3, all the way through to sort of the end of Acts chapter 9 as we start a brand new series together. And in the evening service, we've gone a different route once again. And we've actually been looking at the call of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? And Josh Plum is preaching tonight. He told me uh, earlier in the week a little bit of what he was sharing about. In fact, Friday he shared with me, and I could tell you he has an amazing word. You know, it's a great word when you're jealous that you don't get to preach it. And uh, it's an amazing word. Make sure you tune in tonight. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. It's important we start at the end of chapter 12 because here's something you need to know about Hebrews. In fact, your entire Bible, I know it's going to blow someone's mind right now, when the Bible was originally written, there was no chapters and verses. I know, it's shocking. There was no chapters and no verses. And so every now and then, I mean, the chapters and verses are there for our help and our support. But sometimes they can catch us out a little bit because there's a continual theme that runs from the previous chapter that we kind of forget to pick up on. And I want to tell you right now, as a Bible reader at home, if you get stuck in a passage, it always pays to go back to the previous chapter and verse to look at the theme. Because Hebrews was written as one letter or one sermon that was meant to be preached to an entire community. And remember, this community was going through difficulty. People were abandoning the faith. They were beginning to step back into the old ways and they were being encouraged to keep on pressing out into the new. And if there's one point you take away from today, this is just for free, not in my notes. The fact is this, you will not survive in your Christian walk without community. You will not. You will not survive. You have to constantly be encouraged, stirred, uh, spurred on, Hebrews 12 would say, towards love and good deeds. And if you don't have that, you will not survive. So let me implore you today to meet those nearby. If you're in a home, you're already doing this with other people. Hopefully you've got other people with you today and someone can lead in prayer at the end. You have to gather in clusters because that is what will keep you not only safe, but pressing out into all that God has for you. Whew, that was just the introduction. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Oh, I love that. Everything else in this world shakes, but not the kingdom that he's bringing. Man, that'll preach. Now another time. Let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Verse 1 of chapter 13. 
And do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated if you yourselves were suffering. By context here, it is those who have been imprisoned for preaching the gospel. But I think there's a further context that I could apply to us today. Yes, I think it's great for us to actually reach out to people in prison. I know a number of people that have a prison ministry and I know people that write on a regular basis to those who are incarcerated, which is fantastic that people do that. That's one application to that verse there. There's another application too, is that people who have isolated, people who are imprisoned perhaps in their own world due to various health reasons or other things. And it's this uh, imploring to say, help those who are completely shut off from the rest of the world. Verse 4, marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all this sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now I'm going to I'm going to leave it there. We could go on, but I'm just going to leave it there for now. When you look at the journey we've been on throughout 12 chapters of Hebrews, we've climbed some really lofty heights. In fact, last week when Pastor Cam preached, climbing that beautiful Mount Zion and the promises of that, the Jesus is better. If we went all throughout the book of Hebrews, the entire teaching series we've been on, so many great and precious promises that we've been able to attain and understand. In fact, even some of them, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so we will receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. We know that it doesn't just cover our sins, He cleanses our sins. We get to Hebrews 11, we're inspired by all the heroes of faith and we've climbed the lofty heights of Hebrews 12. We've realized that Jesus is a better high priest. Everything He has is better for us, a better covenant, a better way of life, better promises. He's more precious than anything else in the world. And all throughout the book of Hebrews, we've had 12 chapters of the writer of Hebrews trying to do something really important, trying to remind the people of spiritually, these are all the things that you have in Christ. It's phenomenal. That's why we entitled this series, Jesus is Better. And then it gets to chapter 12 and he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher, or the author and perfecter of our faith. And we look at all of these things and we kind of go, wow, we've climbed 12 chapters, the lofty heights, and my spirit feels lifted up. I feel encouraged. I feel stirred. I feel inspired. I'm reminded of all that Jesus has done. And then we slam straight into chapter 13, verse 1. Show hospitality. Be sexually pure. And don't love money. And you kind of look at it and you go, you know, I was loving the 12 chapters of all of these great internal things that now Jesus has given me. And then I don't want it to be practical. I don't want to have to, I don't want to, have to do stuff. I don't want to have to show hospitality to people. That's a private decision. I, my, my sexuality and those things, that's a private thing. What I do with my money, that's a private thing. And this is kind of the challenge that we face as Christians all the time. That's why I love the book of Hebrews is the purpose of climbing 12 chapters is because you eventually have to reach the stage where your internal world shapes your external behavior. And so often in our lives, 
We, we try and contain our faith to the realm of private internal spirituality. That is not how the gospel works. The gospel so radically changes and transforms your internal world that you won't be able to help but change your behavior and how you treat others around about you. In fact, I like to think of it this way, and it's very, very silly, but come with me on this. My wife and I, were Beck, we're, I, I shouldn't say my wife, I'm saying Beck. She prefers if I just say Beck. Anyway, uh, Beck and I, we love Jurassic Park. We've, we've grown up with it, you know, and we still watch it when it's on TV. Here is the main thing about Jurassic Park. Every single time the dinosaur gets out of containment, and then you've got a movie on your hands, and it's awesome, and you love it and you're waiting for the T-Rex to get out of there, you're waiting for the Indominus Rex to get out of it. Every single time, it is the asset out of containment, and then it goes and destroys everything, and you've got fantastic movies on the back of that. I hope you're with me this morning. Can I get an amen? Ah, good. There's four people here said amen. <laughs> awesome. Here's the thing. I told you it was silly, but here's the thing. What God starts in you cannot be contained. It cannot be contained, but the difference is not for destruction, but for good. The difference is, is that what he does in your heart and life is not just left to your spiritual, private, internal world. It eventually touches everything about you in the most practical of ways. In fact, the work that Jesus does in our hearts and lives is so transformative that it shifts the whole control center, the rewiring of our being, our heart, which dictates all of our behavior. And what happens so rapidly is we begin to look at the world differently. So we look at how we love people differently. We look at how we show hospitality to strangers differently. We, we view our, our sexuality, in fact, through the eyes of Christ and how he would want us to live. We view our money through the way that God wants us to live. And this is what it means to have faith. What it actually means is that when the gospel touches our lives, when we realize that we are saved by grace, it radically changes our behavior. Now, I need to always say this. I probably say this every time I preach and it will always be this way. All of the things we do, the behaviors we do, are never to earn salvation. Never, ever. How we treat our money, how we treat other people, all of those things are never earning our way to salvation. They are just responses to already being accepted by our loving Heavenly Father because of Jesus. I hope that is really clear. But the fact of the matter is, is that you cannot contain it. Because something begins to happen when we hand our lives over to Jesus, like Hebrews 12 has told us to do, and we fix our eyes on Him. We begin to, bit by bit, hand over all the categories of our lives, and that's the purpose of today. In fact, let me just challenge people from the outset. And, and, you know, I can't see you right now, but let me just challenge you in a loving and kind way. Are there some categories in your life that you would say, I deal with those things? Jesus gets to deal with these things, private things, spiritual things, but I deal with money. I do that. I, I deal with who I associate with. That's my decision. I, I deal with who I show hospitality to. That, that's my decision. My body and what I do with that, that's my decision. And maybe even as I'm pressing that point a little bit today maybe if you're honest with your own heart you don't need to let anybody know but you're saying you know what I leave those categories to myself those are the things that I actually deal with and today by the Holy Spirit and the text that we're preaching I believe that God is asking us to hand each of those categories over to him to begin to take the practical things and place them in the hands of God and begin to see everything radically change because here's what I ultimately believe 
when you hand your life over to Jesus, and we call it when you give him your heart, when you enter a relationship with him, and today people are going to do that. Today, via just a simple prayer, eternity enters your heart. The Bible says that Jesus comes in and he makes his home in your heart. When you begin to do that, uh, bit by bit, something grows from the inside out and everything about your behavior begins to change. Um, many years ago, in fact, it was probably about six years ago, I remember driving my eldest son to a soccer game and he had a friend with him. It was, real, it was one of their first ever games. It was under sixes or something like that, I think it was. And I remember this friend of, of Cooper actually sharing this amazing, profound pearl of wisdom. And he turns to Cooper, he goes, Coop, I'm never going to get married. And I remember just like leaning in. And I was kind of like, why? why is that, mate? He goes, well, on your wedding day, you've got to kiss the bride. I don't want to do that. I remember hearing this little six-year-old, you know, making this definitive statement about his whole life. And I thought to myself, you know what? Give it time. I think your desires will change. Give it time. I think you'll begin to grow. And I reckon that's not going to be such a hurdle that you thought it was before. <laughs> Can I tell you right now, when you hand your life over to Jesus, something begins to grow on the inside. In fact, Peter would say it's living faith. You know what that means? Is it cannot be contained. And it will grow and it will grow and it will shape all of your behavior. And so what the writer of Hebrews right now is trying to do, he's trying to take us on this huge journey when we know all that we've got. And he's trying to say this, if it doesn't impact your actual way of living, then you've just relegated it to the spiritual realm. But if you've handed your life over to Christ, then albeit sometimes bit by bit, we're handing our pieces over. Sometimes people are on that journey. Even today, you might be on that journey. Bit by bit, you're handing everything over. It begins to change things practically. The three big things, we're just going to touch on them very briefly, is the first one is hospitality, which is actually pretty amazing. Verse one, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. And I think this is hugely important because we have to remember that we have to continue to extend brotherly or sisterly love to those within the community of God. And here's what is hugely important about Christian community is we are not a club gathered around a common interest. We are a church gathered around a common saviour. Here is why this is hugely important for two reasons. One, if we're a club and we're gathered around a common interest, well then, when the interest changes, so too does the association. Uh, let me give you an example of this. Uh, one of our pastors this past week uh, picked up a, a Garmin sports watch. Fantastic. He's gotten into exercise, which was great. And word on the street is, is that he, he logged his first ever run. And the report that I've heard, and I believe it's true, is that he actually ran a whopping 700 meters, which I would suggest is basically just walking to your car back and forward three times. <laughs> well, he logged it. He's excited. There's a little bit of a gathering of people who are now runners that he's a part of. Can I tell you this? And I believe in him. In the bottom of my heart, I believe in him. But I can tell you, the novelty's going to wear off. <laughs> And I think he's laughing right now because he's, I don't want to name names, but he'd be leading the, uh, the college hall right now. Um, but, but I know that after the novelty of running wears off, you know, it's kind of like so does the association of grouping yourself with all the running people in the church. I can tell you right now, we do not gather around common interests. We gather around a common saviour. 
because interests are great. If you love running, that's great. If you love canoeing or kayaking or surfing or fishing or golfing or sports, that's fantastic. They're great ways for us to connect. They're not bad things at all. They are fantastic. But I can tell you what, what matters is not your common interest. What matters is your common savior. And our common savior is Jesus. This is the difference in Christian community because if your interest changes, it doesn't change your connection to us. Because here's the huge thing. We are gathering around our common Savior and here's what we need to know. When you gather around your common Savior, which is Jesus for each of us, it also prevents us from having any sense of spiritual pride because we realize something. We are all people who are lost and are now found. We are all people in need of saving. That means we don't gather around just a common interest. We gather around Jesus. But there's also no room for being prideful because we all, in order to have a saviour, are people that need to be saved. In fact, I love the wording there. It's quite interesting. It's literally three words. It says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. But in the original language, it says, basically, let Philadelphia continue. Philadelphia, the city and the cream cheese, very delicious. Uh, But Philadelphia is actually the word brotherly love. And it says this, just three words, let brotherly love continue. Can I tell you today, we need to let that continue to those who are within the Christian community. And Philadelphia, by definition, is family-type love. Here is why this is so huge in a practical sense, is you and I need to continually show family love to those in the community. Why is this really important? Here's the main thing. I want to speak to people today. Sometimes family is annoying. Not mine, but yours maybe. <laughs> Sometimes family irritates. Sometimes family doesn't get it right. But here's the thing, they're family. And nothing they do will separate them from the family. It shows an amazing ability to accept and love and extend grace and kindness and forgiveness when we realize that first and foremost, as the Christian community, everybody gathering today in a hub, everybody at a home, that we are gathering as a family. But rather than just living in a small world, the writer of Hebrews does something else. He says this in verse 2, Do not also forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. You know, there's about five words there. Do not forget to show hospitality. And it's only one word in the Greek. And it's actually this, philoxenia, which actually is a derivative of Philadelphia. You can hear that first wording there, philo, for love. But this one is philoxenia. And that last part of the word actually means this, love the stranger. It says in our, in our English version, it says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. In the Greek, it just says one word, philoxenia, which means this, love the outsider, love the stranger. So we should continue in family love. But the next thing, we can't just live in a small world of only loving family. The writer of Hebrews is saying this, in order for you to keep on running, in order for you to keep on running after Jesus, you have to be in Christian community, extend family love. And maybe today you've got to extend some family love to people in this church who have wronged you, hurt you or offended you. We've got to always talk on this level because it happens. I'll brush past you or someone does or we don't remember your name or forgot your kid's birthday. There's always room to be offended. Today, you have to extend family love to those people. There's another piece of this as well. You've got to extend love to the stranger. Wow. Do not forget. Continue in this, but do not forget to show love to the stranger. 
That means people outside of our world or people who are brand new in our community who we don't know. See, for the most part, human nature does this. We associate with people who we like and who are like us and who like us. That's normally how it works. The writer of Hebrews is saying this, extend love to people who you don't know, who can't bring anything else into your life, who perhaps you don't know that well at all, extend love to the stranger. You know, it's one thing uh, to be radically generous to people in your world. It's a great attribute of being in family. It's another thing entirely to show love and generosity to people outside of our world. That is living big. Do you remember Mother Teresa's words? In fact, they're so profound. She says that the problem with the world today is that we draw the circle of family far too small. The writer of Hebrews is reminding us, oh, I love the family, but you've got to love and extend it to the outside because there's a little promise in here that we miss out on. He says, you know what, when people have done this over the years, uh, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Well, that's a reference to Genesis 18. Abraham uh, meets three strangers and he shows hospitality to him and he receives a blessing from these angels. One of them, in fact, we would say is actually the Lord. And these three angels leave a blessing with Abraham. That's Genesis 18. But you see this pattern all throughout scripture that when you extend loving kindness to strangers, there's an extra blessing that comes into your life that you never would have had if you only extended it to family. In fact, I'd go as far as to say, if you're looking for strangers, you'll end up finding angels. If you're looking to extend love to strangers, you'll find a blessing into your life that you cannot get from just hosting your family the whole time. We've got to live in a big world. That's Genesis 18, but Luke 24, we see the story. Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples and they're walking and they were kept from recognizing him. And what happens then? Luke 24, the two disciples say, come and eat with us because it's late. They didn't recognize Jesus until he was in the home, breaking the bread, and then their eyes were open and then they received the blessing from him. In fact, time and again, Jesus is playing host and being hospitable to strangers. John 2, he's turning water into wine. He's Lord of the feast. In fact, twice, 4,000 and 5,000 multitudes of people were being fed. John 13, he's showing hospitality by washing the disciples' feet. John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Time and again, Jesus is telling us something about loving other people. When you extend love to the strangers, there's a huge blessing that flows into your life that you cannot get any other way. I challenge you this morning. Maybe your big challenge today, this week, coming weeks and months, is to extend love to the stranger, to the person you don't know. Maybe the person sitting beside you. Maybe the person that's just crept up the back today. Maybe the person that is nearby to extend love. Because when you do that, I believe there's a blessing that flows into your life that you cannot get any other way. And lastly, team, you can come and join me. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. I think it's very clear. We need to protect the sanctity of marriage. Uh, and even with our sexuality, the, the Greek language there is very broad in every sense, but it actually essentially means we need to value and protect marriage and that sex in the confines of marriage is God's plan for humanity. It's very clear written there. I don't even need to expand on that in the Greek. Uh, verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. I love this, how he says, be content with what you have. In fact, Paul would say in Philippians 4, I have learned the secret of being content 
You know what the secret is? Jesus is enough. In fact, when we begin to realize all of chapter 12 is taking us on this journey that Jesus is enough, only then are we open-handed with our money and with our life. Something I want to clue you in on, though, as we draw this to a close before we get to the last part of this text. Hebrews 13, very practical. Love the family, love the outsiders. What you do with your body, your sexuality is hugely important in the eyes of God. How you treat money and not living for it, but being content with what you have. All of that is shaped from your internal world, but there's a little key to understanding this whole passage. I read it earlier. Hebrews 12, verse 28, right before we get to it. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. It's interesting to me that before the writer of Hebrews get to all of these practical things for you and I to live out, do you know what he's doing? All of this is about worship. Crazy, isn't it? All of this, all of the practical things, all comes from a heart of worship. Now, very often we go down that road, I suppose, of thinking that worship and praise is just the music we do on a Sunday. And part of that is true. But I can't help but feel that what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us is that how you live your life practically is actually you worshiping God. In fact, Paul would say this in Romans 12. He'd say, in view of God's mercy, let us offer our bodies as living sacrifices to Him. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do you know how you worship God? Do you know how you really give Him everything? Is by not withholding any categories. It's more than a song. It's more than how well we sing on a Sunday. That's one expression of it. It is actually how you live Monday through to Sunday with your money, your finances, your sexuality, all of those things, your love for others, your hospitality, all of those things are worshiping God with reverence and awe. See, if you want to encounter God in His majesty and His love, don't make your worship just 15 minutes on a Sunday. (laughs) Make it what you do tomorrow when you're confronted with a moment to be generous. That is worshiping God. Tomorrow when you're confronted with maybe compromising some of your values, worship God. Uh, When you're wanting to withhold money from people or something like that, make a decision to worship. And I can tell you, that when we live this way, we are actually truly worshiping Him with reverence and awe. And lastly, and I'll close with this, I've gone a bit long today, sorry about that. Well, actually, no, I'm not that sorry. Uh, Keep your lives from the love of money. Be content with what you have, because this is the key today, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? If I could remind you that, yes, it's all about worship, what we do practically. But on the other side of that is this really great promise. It's Deuteronomy 31, before that end of the promised land. And Psalm 118, a response to that. In fact, in the original language, there's five negative particles, which actually would read something along these lines. Never, 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 never. Will I leave you? Will I forsake you? And I can tell you this right now. 
The only way you'll ever live your life differently. The only way we can truly be worshippers of God is when we have that deep revelation that God says to you and I today, that despite not a perfect performance, despite a tarnished record, that we are loved, that we are accepted, and that His promise today is this, straight out of Deuteronomy 31, that I will never, 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 never leave you. That makes you live differently with your money. That makes you show love to other people. That changes everything about your life practically.